This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry Interviews. Today we have with us Max Abrams. Max is an associate fellow at the Northeastern University in the United States. He's also a non-resident scholar at the Quincy Institute. Uh, Max has uh, is an expert on international affairs, foreign policy, and he specializes in counterterrorism. He's the author of a book called Rules for Rebels. Welcome to News Laundry Interviews, Max. Delighted to be with you. So, Max, uh, I want to discuss the U.S. presidential election with you along two axes. Uh, the first is international affairs, foreign policy, and the second is the influence of the news media in shaping uh, foreign policy, if you were. But before I come to those axes, uh, could you tell us what is at stake in this election? Now, I ask this question because if I read the Democrats, uh, I'm told that the very foundation of the U.S. democracy is what at stake. But if I read and I watch the Republicans, they tell me there's anarchy at the gates. So is the situation this dire in the world's oldest democracy? I, I do agree. You have both parties saying that we're at a real political watershed um, and that the stakes couldn't be greater. Uh, it, it's becoming a cliche. You know, this is the most important election uh, of our lives. And basically, Democrats think that uh, Donald Trump is a real hazard um, to the United States, that he is fundamentally uh, overturning uh, our democratic values, that he's authoritarian. It's often alleged that uh, he's uh, in bed with Putin, that he's a Putin stooge, that uh, or that uh, Putin is a surrogate of, uh, of Trump. Um, and uh, then there's an additional element, which is newer, about how Trump may um, change the composition of the uh, of the Supreme Court, for example, um, and that uh, if this uh, nominee uh, gets approved at the eleventh hour, that it could uh, overturn uh, Roe v. Wade uh, and make uh, abortion uh, illegal. Not all Republicans, um, but many of them point to um, the, the the discord, and they blame it on um, what they see as wokeness, um, which is against uh, Donald Trump, but also more broadly against law and order, against the rule of law. And according to them, there's a silent majority, um, which is uh, being ignored. Um, and so we'll see um, during the election whether such a, a silent majority does exist. If we sort of rewind back to, say, Obama's first election campaign, there were questions asked of him, right? Does he have the experience to lead the free world? This time around, I don't really see America's place in the world, quote unquote, being discussed very much. So what would you put that down to? Why is foreign policy not on the debate stage? Trump is seen by so many of the, the big you know, opinion makers in the United States as a threat that these opinion makers uh, are just willing to set aside any differences they might have in order to unify their support behind Biden. 
And um, this is going to be uh, maybe smart in the short term, but it will be problematic in the long term. It's a good strategy for helping Biden to get elected, but a problematic strategy in terms of his actual uh, leadership um, as, as president, because to be more specific, um, you, uh, what basically happened was you had this very initially fractured democratic field. If you looked at the primaries, there was no clear front runner, certainly not Biden. Biden was not doing well in the primaries. He hadn't even uh, won one. Two follow-ups. One, who is in President Trump's camp? And B, why isn't President Trump's camp talking more about foreign policy, given that Joe Biden's camp has this array of foreign policy ideologies that cannot be reconciled in a sense, according to what you're saying. So why isn't President Trump talking about it or his camp? You know, there's an irony because President Trump used to have a TV show where it was essentially based on having good employees, right? You know, the, the famous line, you're fired if the employee is no good. And yet Trump's own employees have been terrible. Um, and so, uh, you know, Trump started off um, uh, even even during the transition as being quite unpopular among the more sort of educated class um, in the United States, like mainstream media, the, those who listen to NPR and, and you know, in, in, in the New York Times and, and read the Washington Post. And so many people who initially might have been considered um, as a Trump uh, aide or surrogate um, declared early on that they would be never Trumpers, um, that they weren't going to support him. And I think that it is carried through throughout his presidency that there's been a deficit of brain power um, coming out of his camp. And so a lot of the, um, the unsavory aspects of what Trump has to do in terms of battling with the media and saying that it's fake news, a, a more popular sort of savvy president would have professionals doing that for him. But instead, what, we, what we've seen over the past four years is very unpresidential. You have the president getting in the mud and saying, no, um, you know, what CNN is saying is, is fake news. So you've sort of given us a bit of history on what George W. Bush did. And you've sort of indicated, but you haven't mentioned, what was Obama's foreign policy, particularly counterterrorism policy? I think that Obama um, was uh, definitely moving in the direction away from the neocons. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll recall that um, to Obama's credit, he gained a lot of political capital by opposing the Iraq war, unlike Hillary Clinton. I, I think, I mean, this is, a, this is a real sort of counterfactual thing to say, but their competition against each other was tight. It was close. But in the end, Obama just barely squeaked by her. And I believe that had he supported the Iraq war, 
he would not have been able to do so. One of the main ways that he was able to neutralize Hillary Clinton, who was much better funded, much better connected, much more established, was by saying, well, how good really is your foreign policy acumen? You supported the Iraq war, I didn't. Has Trump been successful in no boots on the ground? Has he sort of, has his counterterrorism policy been a remarkable shift from sort of the Bush and Obama years and what Biden and sort of Trump are saying that they'll continue to do going forward. Has he been successful in doing that? Or has he not met the expectations of, say, someone like you who doesn't believe in regime change, who doesn't believe in boots on the ground? What is your assessment of Trump's counterterrorism policy? There are a lot of things about Trump that I could, um, you know, criticize, but Aspects of his foreign policy um, have made me um, happy. Um, I think that um, I think that if Trump had not been elected, I think that the conflict in Syria would have been much, much worse. Um, I very much disagreed with uh, Hillary Clinton's take on the Syria conflict, um, and Hillary. I'm, I'm basically I'm a bit of a, a, a you know a minority in terms of my in terms of my intellectual views on foreign policy. Sort of the smart set uh, agreed much more with Hillary Clinton. Um, Hillary Clinton was a supporter um, of the rebels. Um, she thought that the big problem was that we didn't support the rebels enough. Whereas I thought that the problem was that we supported the rebels too much. So not only did she want to supply heavier weapons to the rebels, but she also was flirting with the idea of a no-fly zone in Syria, which was a basically a pro-rebel American intervention because it would have been intended to uh, counter uh, Russian air power as well as secondarily, um, you know, uh, Syrian air power. Um, and I thought that this was a very, very bad idea. You're saying that Trump's appreciation of the troubles that the US is facing in Afghanistan is correct. He's moving in the, in the right direction. My counter question to that would be then, you know, the United States has been in war for 19 years in that country. If the United States sort of steps back, wouldn't all that has been gained in the 19 years, however little that has been gained in the 19 years, you would lose that as well and you would go back to a pre-2001 world in a way. So what would you say to somebody who would make that argument to you? I'm not going to be so naive as to pretend that if the United States uh, withdraws fully, um, that things will go well in, in, in Afghanistan. I don't think they will. Um, I think that there could be more violence in that country. I think the Taliban could get stronger. Um, I think that any sort of advances, liberal advances, for example, um, could go backward. I think education could go backward. I think treatment of women could go backward. And I do worry, I do worry that it would be, be used again as some sort of a, a terrorist safe haven. What is the reason behind this waning influence, particularly of television media in the American landscape? And I want to, 
And I want you to answer, keeping in mind the context of the Russia collusion allegations, which I, which I believe you seem to suggest are unfounded. So if you could sort of just get explain that to us a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, TV media is still extraordinarily important. Um, I, I think that um, that the one of the main reasons why Trump has had such a struggle is because the TV media has been against him. So CNN, MSNBC, um, these are not, they are, they're not primarily interested in informing um, viewers about facts. They are primarily interested in um, making sure that Trump doesn't have a second term. And so the TV media, mainstream media has, be, has become more about activism than about uh, education. Um, I mean, now that's not to say that everything that it reports is wrong, um, but, um, but their primary goal um, is a political one uh, rather than a uh, intellectual one. Mufat Koro, Muft Me, It Nights Milega. To watch the full unedited interview, you have to subscribe to News Laundry and pay to keep news free. Because when the public pays, the public is served. We depend on you and not on advertisers. So go to www.newsrunning.com slash subscription and subscribe and get all our unedited interviews, our special video shows, comics and everything that's behind the paywall. Remember to subscribe to News Laundry, you pay just about 10 rupees a day. That's less than, well no, a cigarette and smoking is injurious to health. So subscribe and watch the full interview. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.